Thanks for joining us on the Verbatim Word Podcast, where we seek biblical truth in a daily context. I'm Justin Gary. What do you want to be when you grow up? It's a question people start to ask us from an early age. In fact, in my day job, career awareness is one of the key things I teach and instruct in. And while younger, we might dream of jobs like being an astronaut or the president or a superhero or a mermaid, a lot of those jobs are taken and we won't find an opening when it's time for us to seek employment. Working is a part of life. Ever since the fall in the garden, when God told them the repercussions of the curse, it included working. God telling Adam he would till the ground and in the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Pointing out that work and hard work would be a part of our story. Even in the Bible, we see lots of occupations mentioned. Builders, embroiderers, stonemasons, blacksmiths, merchants, tent makers, shepherds, farmers, fishermen, lawyers, tax collectors, and of course, our Lord's personal favorite, uh, apparently, carpenters. In the United States, some of the most common jobs are things like, number five, registered nurses. This will only hurt a little bit. Number four, general office clerks. Please hold while I transfer your call. Number three, food prep and serving staff. Would you like fries with that? Number two, cashiers. Would you like your receipt in the bag? And number one, retail salespeople, with about five million people working in that field a few years ago. Would you like to sign up for our rewards program? You can save 10% on today's purchase. On the flip side of those most common jobs, here are some of the least common occupations in the US. At least they were in the 2014 website website that I found. Private household cooks. There's only a couple hundred of them in the country. Fishers and related workers. And one of the occupations that employs the least amount of people is a prosthodontist. They specialize in treating and handling dental and facial problems that involve restoring missing tooth and jaw structures. Some people spend their whole life searching for the perfect job. It is estimated that the average person will hold about 10 to 12 jobs in the course of their lifetime. And for many, well, a job is a job. Well, whatever your career dreams or pursuits or whatever your approach to the importance of a nine to five or whether you've left that in the dust in retirement, the advice we find in the Bible is the same. Whatever we do, we are to do it as unto the Lord. We are in a section of the book of Colossians where Paul is giving practical application and advice to all the basic foundational theological truths he laid out in chapters 1 and 2, where he wanted to help clarify for these Colossian believers that they needed Jesus only and need not be confused by the philosophies of this world or add anything to their faith or practices. That Jesus was sufficient and had provided for all in his life, in his message, in his death, in his burial, and his resurrection. Everything was provided in him. So now they were to live for him. And he told them that whatever they do, in word or deed, they should do it all in the name of Jesus. Representing him, doing it for him, bringing glory to him. On the last podcast, we looked at the primary roles we play in life, those in the family that have the greatest impact upon the world and society, since it all starts in the home. And we saw the need for grace and to extend grace to fulfill the family roles God has given us, something we can only do by being filled with His Holy Spirit and being guided by His Word. On this podcast, we head off to work as Paul continues with this thread of whatever we do to do it for Jesus. And that includes the jobs he has called us to, something more than just to earn money and put bread on the table. We pick up today in Colossians 3, verse 22.
The gospel knows no boundaries, as Paul mentioned to the Colossians in chapter 1, verse 6, that it had come to them as it had to all the world and was bringing forth fruit. And that fruit, people from all walks of life were getting saved. Men, women, old, young, rich, poor, master, and servant, all equal at the foot of the cross. Telling them earlier in chapter 3 in verse 11 that there was neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And now Paul talks to the bondservants, giving them a practical charge about just how they could live out their faith in Jesus right where they were. And Paul takes a bit more time speaking to this group because it made up a big portion of society and the church. Probably about half the people walking the streets in any great Roman city would have been slaves. And the word had broad parameters, as this could be manual and menial labor or craftsmen, but even teachers and doctors serving families. So Paul writes to them first in verse 22. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. The word for service, servants or bond servants here is doulos. It can mean slave as there were many in the Roman Empire, an attendant or steward, one who helped out to fulfill the interests of another, such as when someone has too much responsibility and influence, they need a team of people to carry out all of those things. It can refer to one devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interest, a servant sacrificing personally for the benefit of another or others. For most of us in the world today, the equivalent would be our jobs, our employment, since about a third of our life is devoted to this, and about 50% or more of our waking hours most days are focused on work. Now, we will do our best at our jobs for a paycheck, won't we? Making sure we are doing what our boss wants us to do so we don't get fired, because an unhappy boss means you are out of work, which means you have no income. Well, in the Roman world, there was something called manumission, the ability of slaves to be freed. Roman owners freeing their slaves was very common, and many eventually were freed. Some masters freed them outright. Others let them work, then buy their own freedom. This manumission, the potential to be freed, encouraged most slaves to be obedient and hardworking, since a master would probably be more likely to free a slave who was good, a sort of reward for helpful service. So when Paul says in verse 22, bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. He jumps to the motivation for serving well. He tells them not to be doing it to be seen just to please man for some selfish reason, but to serve well because God is watching and you are accountable to him. Rather than being motivated that if I do good and if I, if I kiss up enough, then I'll be set free, do it because the Lord is pleased with it. We can put on a show when we know we're being watched. At the school I used to work at, we had to be evaluated as teachers every so often. And in some places in education, it takes place with random walkthroughs by the principal as he or she drops in to see how things are going on the day-to-day -day and makes observations to eventually put into a formal evaluation report. Well, the school I worked at used a model in which the principal would come observe a full lesson, and it was scheduled and planned. In fact, the lesson was first presented to the principal in paper form as an outline and a plan in which you stated your goals and objectives and methods. Then came the actual observation, the day and time set for the principal to observe. 
and then a follow-up meeting in which you discuss the good and the areas of improvement. Now, as a teacher, I liked this approach to being observed, and I think a lot of us did because, well, we could plan for it. We knew when it was going to take place. We would pull out all the bells and whistles, crafting a stellar lesson plan full of great things, all the best teaching techniques, activities to keep the students engaged and on task. We'd put more time into planning this lesson and even practicing beforehand sometimes, much like you would do rehearsing for a performance. And when the principal came, it was opening night. We'd even prep our students, telling them the principal was going to be there on a certain day and telling them they better be on their best behavior or else. So when the principal showed up, it was lights, camera, action, and completely scripted and rehearsed performance that was not exactly reflective of a typical day in the classroom. And you'd get a good evaluation. When it comes to the world of work, we can often treat it that way. When we are being watched, when the boss is at the job site, when our work undergoes quality control, or our emails and screen time are monitored, or we are up for a promotion, or we are about to ask for time off, or someone visiting steps in the room. In those times, we will do our best, be the best worker possible, because, well, we know we are being seen. In the program I currently teach at, which I'm basically a career counselor for the most part, my students do rotations in various career majors across our campus. And though they check in with me daily, I'm not always in their classrooms watching them. But I will do walkthroughs every now and then at random, just to peek in on what they've been working on in those programs. I love it when I step in there and they are on task, working hard, creating amazing things, fully engaged in what they're supposed to be doing. But it's also pretty common for me to walk in and find them doing something else because they are teenagers after all. Their biology homework, texting with a friend, scrolling through social media, and the look on their faces when they see me walk in as they hope to become invisible or that I won't stop and say something or as they scramble to pretend they're working on something, it's an awkward moment for them for sure. Caught being off task, not doing the things that they should. I had one of those moments personally at my first, one of my first jobs as well. I worked one summer at a car wash at a gas station. The job was simple. When the cars pull out of the tunnel, wipe them down. It was a slow a lot of the time, and it was summer break, which meant going out and hanging out with friends a lot in the evenings, not always getting a decent night's sleep. So one day at work, in the hot Hawaii sun, I was really tired and drained. So between cars, I sat on the curb. Well, time went on, and the breaks between cars got longer, and finally I was so tired I just laid down on the curb. I may have even put a damp drying rag over my head, a sort of cooling towel. Well, in my teenage brain, I did not consider that just opposite of me was the general manager's office window, a two-way mirror type window, so he could see me, but I could not see him. As he watched me as I lounged there on the curb in full view of the public right in the middle of work. Not exactly the best PR for the gas station and car wash. The next day at work, my supervisor pulled me aside immediately and had to reprimand me, telling me the general manager had seen me and reminded me of acceptable and unacceptable behavior on the job. And sleeping on the job, well, we all know, is never right. Thankfully, I didn't get fired. But the message was clear whether I know it or not, eyes were always on me. And from that day forward, I worked a little differently. Paul's message to the bond servants in Colossae and to us was this, bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. 
As believers, we have a higher motivation and a greater accountability. We should not be motivated by selfish gain, working well when it will benefit us, or in manipulation, when we want a promotion or to ask for a favor or for a bonus. That day in and day out, compared to all those things and all those we work alongside, we should do it because God is watching and we want to please Him. A sincerity of heart, the word means single-minded, having one goal in mind, to please God. In Corinthians 7, Paul was encouraging them to please God in whatever state they were called, not to be so focused in life about climbing the ladder. He starts out in that chapter talking about marriage and that it can that if they can remain single to focus on serving Jesus and God has called them to that and has given them grace for that, then they should press on in that. But later on in the chapter, he writes this, Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free in Christ is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. His point was this. God has placed his people in all corners of society to be witnesses for Jesus right where you are and that we don't need to go far to find people to reach for Christ or opportunities to shine for Christ. For as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 2.14, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. While many bondservants in the Roman world may have been working and manipulating their situations with an overall goal of being able to access freedom, Paul reminds them that God is sovereign, and that he can and will use us wherever we are, wherever he has placed us. And that instead of manipulating our situation with our own gain in mind, we should serve Jesus where we are, fearing him, trusting that he has us there and can also move us on from there when he sees fit. And he can also open up a place for us to go when it's time to be somewhere else. It's interesting, as Paul is writing this letter, he's under house arrest in Rome, And during this time, a slave named Onesimus shows up on his doorstep. Onesimus had been a slave to a man named Philemon and apparently had run away. But now in Rome, Onesimus had become a believer, a follower of Christ. And Paul, knowing Onesimus' owner Philemon, sends Onesimus back. But now much more than a slave, but as a brother in Christ to to his owner Philemon. So around the same time he is writing to the Colossians, he's hanging out with Onesimus, counseling this slave, now born again, and he tells him to go back home, to serve his master again, but now as a brother in Christ. It would be interesting to see a follow-up to this letter, to read just how differently Onesimus' service was after being born again and having the Holy Spirit, compared to how he worked and served before knowing Jesus. I wonder what Philemon's reaction would have been in perspective if he had shared that a little bit more. Because as Christians, Jesus should be the Lord of our whole life, even our work life, and there should be a marked difference in the Christian who works in this world. Those whom Joseph was serving in the book of Genesis clearly saw a difference. After being betrayed by his brothers, sold off to a caravan heading to Egypt, no matter where he ended up to serve, God blessed him there and used him there, in Potiphar's house and was as well as in the prison, for the Lord was with him right there. Genesis 39 verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. 
and verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Everything Joseph touched was blessed because the Lord was with him. And not for Joseph's sake or benefit or career advancement or personal prosperity solely, but for a greater divine purpose, God using the practical to impact the eternal. And so it should be in our work life as we do it with sincerity of heart, singleness of heart, with a heart that serves Jesus first there. Before all other masters, understanding that Jesus has placed us there and that we are accountable to him, we will truly be a light in that place for him. So what is it that God has you doing right now in life? Is it a job? Is it just a source of income? Or in his divine sovereignty, has he given you those gifts and abilities and opportunities as a calling? Paul sees it as a calling, as he writes in the next verses, Colossians 3, uh, 23 and 24. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ, whatever you do. What is it that God has called you to do? Teaching, this verse spoke to me. I had gotten into teaching from full-time ministry. And for me at first, I thought, this is a step down. You know, ministry, that's the high calling. Now I'm at a desk in a classroom each day in a school building. I've taken a step down. And I remember very clearly in the beginning, these verses spoke to me very clearly. Whatever you do, Justin, do it as to the Lord, knowing that you will receive the inheritance, but you're serving me right here, right now. You serve the Lord Christ. And I knew I was placed there because I had applied to something like 45 schools with no response. And then out of the blue in the middle of summer, get an email to my wife. We were still in Europe, a last minute hire. He needed someone. I'd met the principal for five minutes and he remembered me. And he said, the job is his if he wants it. Have him send me a resume tomorrow. So when I sat down at that desk, I knew that I had not chosen to be there. I had not manipulated my way to be there. I had not aspired to be there necessarily. But the Lord was saying, Justin, this is what you're now doing. And that gave me contentment and that gave me motivation, even on those roughest days in the classroom. That first year, man, it was rough. Ask any teacher about their first year. But I took it as a calling. Jesus wanted me there. He could have had anyone else. I had applied to so many schools. I could have been anywhere else, but he wanted me in that classroom, in that place at that time. And so I stayed and I did it as unto the Lord until I felt God calling me to something else. And it was similar where I moved to my next job. I felt like the Lord really opened the door and pushed me in that direction and, and made it possible for me be, to me to be there despite all odds. You know, it was similar when I was finishing that first job. It was similar to my end of missions. I could sense a change was coming. And in, in that season of preparation, began preparing myself, began preparing the church, began preparing my, even own, my own home for, for an adjustment, for a move. And I remember after working at that first school for a couple years, I sensed something was coming. I began preparing files as if I was going to be gone and I was going to have to pass those on to something else. I began preparing checklists of things for, to do in areas I was leading. I remember preparing binders with organized curriculum, having this feeling that I was going to be moving on, the Lord was going to be moving me on, and I had no idea when or where, as if I was going to pass it on. And when it happened, I was kind of already prepared because the Holy Spirit was nudging me that a change was coming. I saw it as a new calling, not just as a career advancement, but that God had a new post for me. 
And the Lord can have many reasons for that calling. It might just be the simple reason of provision. It might be to teach you things about yourself. It might be character growth. It might be because there's people there that need to be uh, exposed to the light of Jesus or to hear your story, your testimony, or it might be a combination of all of those. We are God's servants first in our jobs and careers, beyond it being a wage-earning means. When we serve God, he gives us all the giftings that we need in his service, doesn't he? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And you shall receive power, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. He gives us his power and giftings to be witnesses in this world. What a greater area to witness than at work alongside the world. Now, I know we always can't preach our faith or share our faith, but we can still be witnesses for him there, just even in the simple way that we work differently, that we talk differently, that we interact with others differently, and that we love differently. Servants of God rubbing elbows day in and day out in all number of areas, whether that be in construction or medicine or education or retail or business or transportation. When morning comes, it's not just hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work I go, or to school I go. It's, Lord, fill me with your spirit today. Fill me with your spirit this week. I need you if I'm going to impact this world for Christ. Take the mundane things and make them powerful testimonies. That means that we can offer our clients and coworkers more than just our natural abilities and talent. That our bosses have a spirit-filled believer being led by the Holy Spirit. When you serve Jesus in, in a ministry calling, like if you're teaching Sunday school or on the worship team or some other ministry, you expect his spirit to work. You pray and ask that you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. You anticipate that you will minister by his Holy Spirit. Well, I'm convinced that when we step out of church on Sunday, it's not that we need the Holy Spirit any less and the ministry doesn't stop which means that the Holy Spirit goes with us into those places and the giftings of the Holy Spirit. He can stir those things up Monday morning at 8 a.m. all the way to Friday afternoon at 5 p.m. because he needs his witness there and there's lots of ministry to take place there. We have God's giftings at our jobs too, if it will bring him glory. One thing about teaching that I don't like is discipline because, well, students don't always follow the rules, do they? And I remember at the beginning feeling like I had to make sure that I always caught every student doing every single thing and, and just making sure that they didn't break any rules. And I was always paranoid that they had gotten by with something. And just it's kind of a, a weird place to be when you have to know that you're supposed to be enforcing discipline. You feel like you're a cop at all times. Well, I remember finally giving it a rest and saying, look, Lord, I can't be always just looking around and feeling like I'm a private investigator trying to find everything. But I do have your Holy Spirit. And I do have discernment and your Holy Spirit can open my eyes and show me things and lead me supernaturally. Lord, your word tells us that our sin will find us out. Well, let that be my verse when it comes to disciplining students. If there's something that I need to see, something I need to address, something that for the good of the student, they need to be caught red-handed in, then Lord, lead me there that I will see that. Open my eyes to see that. And it's funny the ways that happens. Certain things like I'll be going to a coworker's office to grab a piece of candy out of the ordinary. I just have an urging for a Snickers and I'll be walking down a certain part of the hall during a certain time of the day that I'm normally not. And I'll see a student 
cutting class, or I'll see a student doing something they shouldn't be, and they are caught red-handed. And I really want to say, actually, you know, it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit who wanted you to, to get in trouble right now because you were doing something wrong, and he's rebuking you by just having me in this place. But it's amazing how many times I just rest in that. I don't need to seek and, and find that out. But even as a, a school teacher, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and God wanting to teach young people about what is right and wrong. He leads me sometimes by his Spirit. It's not just a natural coincidence. We even have words of wisdom sometimes, the Holy Spirit leading us and giving us supernatural wisdom what to do in certain situations, to figure out what to do in a challenging situation. Man, the world has been through some tough times, especially businesses and small businesses in the last couple of years with COVID and watching people do something they call pivoting. It may not be Christian per se, but pivoting a business. I'm really proud of my sister who managed to float two businesses during COVID when many shut down, a dance school as well as an online boutique called Ivy & Co. But I remember when it all started and, and sales were dropping and people were not shopping and everything like that, they pivoted. They began making face masks before they were widely available in resale stores. They were working night and day selling face masks. She was able to hire and employ more people temporarily to fulfill those orders. And then even a dance school, when things were shut down, how do you operate a dance school at the start of a pandemic when no one's sure what's going on? Well, they turned it into an enrichment center during the day when students couldn't go to school because schools were shut down. The Holy Spirit gave them the idea to turn it to an enrichment center where they were able to care for students during the day whose parents had to go to work and help them work through their online studies. We have the access to the Holy Spirit. He wants to use us right where we are, and we don't hang up our giftings and our abilities and the filling of the Holy Spirit on Sunday morning when we leave church. We need it throughout the week to be His witnesses wherever we are. I have another friend who he works in a prison system, and he is a Spirit-filled believer, and he is the fragrance of Christ in that place. Those prisoners, they know that that man, there's something different about him. The way that he treats them, the way that he works with them, the way that he speaks with them, the way that he looks at them. They see a man of integrity and a man who is filled with the Holy Spirit, and it speaks loudly there. We live in a dark world. And as believers, wherever he has placed us in our professions, we are the light of Christ in every place. If we're willing to accept the fact that we're serving him there as spirit-filled believers. As servants of Jesus, there's something to keep in mind. Verse 24, knowing that from, from the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. The reward of the inheritance. Part of this, I think, means a blessing that as we serve as unto the Lord, those principles will bring blessings to our work life. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine, saying, do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. But I think there is more to it than just using God as a prosperity tool for commerce or for career success or for influence. An inheritance is a familial thing, meaning you're not serving as eye pleasers to gain something personally from your master, as some were hoping to inherit the freedom if they just kissed up to their masters enough, doing it in a sort of manipulative way. That should not be our motivation, using God as a talisman for professional blessing or advancement. But Paul does mention the reward of the inheritance here. Apparently in those days, good servants, those who served the family truly well, may have been named in the will and received part of the inheritance. Those that may have cared for the children or attended to the family's commerce or were faithful stewards, they were right there in the household all the time. Those who could truly be trusted. 
they became part of the family, more or less. Sort of a Downton Abbey sort of thing going on there, if you think about it. And when the will was read, though they were just servants, they were honored as part of the family. We do it because we are part of Jesus's family. We have a relationship to him because we want to serve him and represent him well in all of our earthly endeavors. We don't have our eye on any inheritance, but we serve Jesus because we love him and the blessing will come as his children. We'll receive the reward of inheritance for we serve the Lord Christ, as it says in verse 24. Who do you serve? Serving before man to get a reward? Serving pride or ego to build a name or reputation or legacy? Serving the flesh to have bigger and better and nicer and more quality and quantity? Serving your bank account? Serving society and working to climb some unattainable ladder or dream or standard? Serving social media to be able to post about your newest achievement in pride? Or do you serve the Lord Christ? We can afford to check our motivations sometimes. I've always been challenged by what Jesus said in Luke 17. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, Prepare something for my supper, and gird yourself, and serve me till I've eaten and drunk, and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, when you have done all those things you are commanded, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. We can serve to gain, and when it doesn't pay off, we can move on thinking, what's in it for me? Or we can serve as unto the Lord, fulfilling calling, even when it looks like we are gaining nothing from it, or it's hard, or it's challenging, or it's not very gratifying. Paul accomplished much in his service to Jesus. Some were even comparing the apostles, wondering who was the greatest and was doing the most for Jesus. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. He could point to all of his successes as the grace of God. He just knew he had the unmerited favor of God upon his life, and pointed and gave glory to God in and through it all. And likewise, God will bless those who will give him glory. And he will do it by the grace of God more than by sifting through the resumes. As we turn the corner from servants to masters and move to finish this podcast, there's a reminder to both servants and masters of accountability. Colossians 3.25 and 4 verse 1. But he, the servant, who does wrong, will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. And now to masters, masters, Give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. The servant who does wrong will be repaid. If they steal from their master, harm the household in any way, it shows they do not love the family, that they're just a hireling, there for selfish gain, not motivated by the right things, but only for their gain. And that's the challenge for us as believers sometimes, serving with true hearts of service and not just to get a paycheck doing all things with integrity and honor and sacrifice and caring for the masters or bosses that we serve, to make them great, even at our expense. In those realms, these types of servants would always do what is right, because the master's interests were their interests, and accountability as unto the Lord, and the accountability for the masters as well. Give your bondservants what is just and fair, 
knowing that you also have a master in heaven. You serve the Lord Christ as a boss, even as Jesus said in Mark 9, For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Believers who have been blessed to be bosses need always to operate on Christian ethics, guided by godly principles, seeking godly wisdom, spirit-filled leaders, approaching it with the same attitude of service, servant leadership, doing what you can as a leader to make it better for those that are under you, as they might grow, as they might be blessed, as they might be provided for, as you are just a steward of God who has a master in heaven to whom you are accountable. Are you a blessing to have as a boss? Are those working for you, serving under you better because of it? Remember that you too have a master in heaven and you're accountable to him. And as we saw when we looked at the roles in the family, these roles that God has for us in the workplace, servant or master, are also to teach us about our relationship with him. Practical examples in our daily life, in our weekly life of human relationships that teach us more about the heart of the Father and our relationship to the Father. Serving earthly masters reminds us, reminds us what it's like to serve a greater master, the Lord above. And we learn practical examples in our day-to-day service. Same thing as a master, knowing the heart of a master, what it is like to think as a master, the sacrifices of a master. It teaches us and reminds us on both ends of the spectrum what it's like to serve and what it's like to lead in a spiritual context as well. Whatever you do, such a powerful phrase, whatever you do. In our professional lives as workers or bosses, he has given us a field of non-believers to minister to. Who is your flock? It can be busy for sure, and we can lose sight of what he has called us to, and get so caught up in the work that we lose why he has us there, and miss the opportunities he brings to us, because we get so busy working that we forget who we are working for, and why we are working. Jesus at the feeding of the 5,000, there were so many coming and going, there was no time for the disciples to even eat. Imagine this customer service nightmare there. And Jesus said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. That was his intention with the disciples, to take a little retreat there together. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. They didn't have time to sit down. They were so busy, busy working, there was no break time, no lunch time at all. But the multitude saw them departing. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Jesus, seeing this multitude chasing them, interrupting their break time, their first time they've had any time off in a while, intended to be a day off. And Jesus didn't get mad. He was moved with compassion. He saw them like sheep. They had a need and he knew that he could fulfill it. While his disciples came to him and said, Send them away, that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. What a contrast. To the disciples, these crowds were a problem to deal with and check off the list. Just another task to get over with at work. To Jesus, he had compassion. It was a flock among him that needed to be fed and shepherded, and cared for, and loved. And Jesus said to the disciples, you give them something to eat. He was going to provide to them everything that they would need to give and pass on. 
he needed to have them get his heart back as well, to share his heart with them. Rather than seeing this as an annoyance and, and some problem to solve, that they would see them as he saw them, as sheep not having a shepherd, and that they would care for them as well. And we need that same heart as well. Where has God set you? Where does he ask you to serve him a majority of your week as you make a living? Where does he want to impart his heart to you, to a world that desperately needs him? Because it is so much more than just a job. It's so much more than a paycheck. It's a calling in your life. And Lord, we ask that you would renew our callings right where we are. And Lord, if you need to move us somewhere, if there's some place that you need to have us, we are open to being led by the Holy Spirit. May it be for your glory, even if it doesn't make complete and total sense to us, or even if it's a departure on our resume, or even if it's an advancement we didn't see coming. Lord, open the doors that we might know where we're supposed to be and confirm us to be where we're supposed to be, Lord, as a new and renewed calling. And empower us with your Spirit to do even the mundane things with Spirit-filled grace and power and open wide the doors for us to bring glory to your name. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.